When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Legends of the Lorecast. I'm your host, Aaron, and joining me, as always, is my fellow host, Ariel. Hello. And today, we're going to be doing a little bit deeper dive on the characters and monsters of none other than Skyward Sword. Yeah. So, let's get this started with, of course, the main character, Link. Zelda. <laughs> you would think the character Zelda since the game's named after Zelda. I know. <laughs> We're going to get into that much later on as to why Zelda is the name of the game. But anyway, let's digress. So obviously we have to discuss one major thing that stands out to everyone. There's a bunch of links. Okay. And I know... A lot of this information is going to be repetitive, but each link has their own personality and their own quirks. So let's keep that in mind. Starting with the first link. Now, Skyward Sword, chronologically, as we've discussed before, is the first game in the series, which would make this the very first link in a long lineage of reincarnations. This link differs from the others mostly in his attitude. When we first run into this Link, he's very aloof. He's very carefree. You know, he's he really doesn't have his stuff together. And he continues this kind of path up until, you know, we realize Zelda got kidnapped. When we find the chains, uh, you know, and we fight our first not Garaham boss... It really, I think, sets the tone and really just kind of racks into Link's mind at that moment that, oh boy, uh, this is for real. There's no way out. And this really gets heavily seeded when we finally run into Garaham the second time and Impa and Zelda are there. And... Impa fails, nearly fails to protect Zelda. And Link has to step in. And then when he's beaten back again by Giraham, that's when it really sets in for him as this all rides on my shoulders. And we see Link's personality change very abruptly to we gotta be serious. And 
honestly, I love that about this very first link. It gives him this almost human, you know, hero feel. And we even see multiple people giving him a hard time about his immaturity. First, the Grandmaster, then it's Fi, then it's Impa. You know, even Groose in his own weird roundabout way gives Link a hard time about his immaturity. So other than his progression as a character, the only other things important to note about this Link are the fan theories. And I I 100% am invested in the fan theory that this Link is the very first Link in history to be selected by the goddess Hylia. And this is because when we do the final battle with Demise, we actually have to go back in time. And the story goes that, you know, the goddess Hylia granted the first hero her the sailcloth, which Zelda does, and the sailcloth was woven by hand. And, you know, it also goes in depth of, you know, the hero vanquished the demon Demise, which he didn't because Zelda, well, Hylia sealed Demise away. So there's a lot of things that add up into this theory, but again, it's just a theory. It's never been confirmed that this is the very first hero that's been selected by the goddess Hylia. So that's pretty much all we got on this link. Not a whole lot of information. No, and the links don't differ from one another too drastically other than emotional disposition and the tasks and challenges ahead of them, which forge them in different ways. But again, we'll get to those links when we get to their games. In the meantime, we need to discuss a very important character, Phi. Now, a lot of people have mixed feelings on Phi. A lot of people find her annoying and a lot of people found her helpful. Personally, for me, not as annoying as Navi, because Navi was very cute and adorable. (laughs) Yes, but also, hey, listened a whole lot. (laughs) But some background information on Phi. Phi was an AI or is an AI, essentially, that was grafted and created for the purpose of living in the goddess sword to help the hero whenever the weapon was adorned or donned. She does this in multiple ways. She not only teaches the hero or Link how to wield the weapon and use the skyward sword attack or the sky slash, but she also guides him through different domains and through different tasks, uh, helps him learn new songs. She's just your all around helpful AI. The thing is, is calling her an AI was done for simplicity of explanation. What she really is, is a spirit completely crafted to the blade. So Phi is the soul of the master sword essentially which incredible another thing you need to think about with Phi is when she was made she was made 
and instructed that one day you will be no more. When all the tasks are complete, you will be no more. Let's stop and think about that for a moment. Let's say you were created yesterday and you were instructed to help a person complete a series of tasks. And at the end of the tasks, you will no longer exist. That is devastating news. It really is. I mean, even for an AI, I get, you know, do they have feelings? Do they not? That's mm-hmm. still really sad. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, Fi had feelings. And we discovered this at the end. Because in not so many words, she basically tells Link that their time together was the most precious time to her. Yeah. It gets you right in the feels. <laughs> Hits you hard. However, that's not the last time we hear of Fi. We also catch hints of Fi in Breath of the Wild. And I'm going to tell you exactly where. She doesn't appear physically in the game, but she is referenced several times. And she even speaks to Zelda on occasion throughout the game. One of the most memorable moments is when Zelda asks Link about his skills with the Master Sword. And she refers to Fi in a roundabout way and basically asks uh, if Link has heard the voice within the sword yet. That voice within the sword is none other than Fi, which gives me nice little warm and cozy feels to know that Fi is still alive, just not the way we knew her. She's basically become one with the Master Sword at the end of the Skyward Sword series. So Fi never really died, she just became her complete form. So that's pretty much all we have on Fi. Not to downplay her character at all, because Fi is a very, very important asset in the Skyward Sword series. Personally, you know, it's not fair to me to for me to say that she was completely and utterly annoying. She wasn't, she was actually very helpful. Especially in those moments when you're like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do in this room. You could click on Fi and she'd be like, hey, here's a little helpful hint. Do this. (laughs) (laughs) So that's all we have on Fi. Let's talk about Groose. Now, we're not going to go super in depth on Groose because Groose, he's a pretty straightforward character. And we touched on him a little bit when we started talking about the Gerudos. So what you need to know about Groose and why are we talking about him right now when we're talking about all these important NPCs is because, believe it or not, he was actually a very important NPC in the series. Not only was he the potential link to the Gerudo clan creation, but he's also the reason you were able to defeat Demise to begin with. You know, at the very beginning of the game, Groose is just another bully. You know, and he's he's a jerk. He does all kinds of mean things to you, even throwing rotten eggs at you. Then it all changes when Groose gets to the surface. We see the real Groose coming out. He's panicked. He's scared. He's afraid. He doesn't know what's going on. 
It isn't until he talks to Empa and Empa basically says, you have your role to play here too. That we really start to see Groose shine. Groose grasps the bomb catapult for us to help us put the imprisoned back in his prison. Groose helps us with, you know, tasking Impa's tasks. He helps us to protect Zelda in the final moments of the game. Groose has gone from the biggest jerk in the world to almost one of Link's best friends. He's always there to help you. He's ready to help. And his complete disposition towards Link has changed at the end of the game. He now sees Link as the hero. He sees him as something more than what he was before. And at the end, when Groose decides to go off on his own, essentially, it's there's a glance exchanged between Link, Zelda and Groose. And it's one of those. This is goodbye for now, but not goodbye forever kind of looks. And that also hit me really hard at the end of the game, because to go from the bully, the guy you don't even want to be around to the guy that you're sad to see leave. That's incredible, especially to do it in such a short amount of time with an excellent storyline that that has always, always been an incredible thing for me with when it comes to Legend of Zelda series, they nail it every time. I do enjoy seeing character growth, even in what you wouldn't, even in characters that aren't integral, you know, the main characters. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about Groose. Let's talk about Impa from Skyward Sword. I have to specify this because Impa has been in a lot of games. <laughs> So let's talk about the Skyward Sword Empa. So the Skyward Sword Empa, her story starts from the beginning of all of this. During the battle with Demise in the distant past, the goddess Hylia tells Empa that she needs to lunge forward into the future to protect her reincarnated self. Now we don't get to see any of this, but we know that's what happens. So Empa jumps forward with the instructions to find the reincarnation and help her remember who she is. So that's exactly what she does. After Zelda falls from the sky, Impa runs, finds her, rescues her from the Bokoblins, and takes her through a series of tasks to regain her memory as the goddess Ilya. Once she's completed most of this and it's time to go back into the past, and complete the ritual and complete the regaining of the goddess Hylia's memories, they have a run in with none other than Garahem. And this is that showdown that changes everything. Because before this, when Link ran into the Impa and Zelda, Impa basically scolded him on how she doesn't believe he's the right person to be selected as the hero. She doesn't think he can do it. He was late to saving her. You know, none of this should have happened. And yada, yada, yada. But during this battle with Giraham, where her magic fails her, and she's bested by Giraham, and Link jumps in to rescue them, 
the whole disposition changes. Ampa then instructs Link to go and visit the old woman at the sealed grounds. So he goes and does this, and this introduces us to another Ampa. And we don't find this out until the end of the game that the old woman at the sealed grounds is none other than Ampa as an old woman. So we go through the whole series. Ampa from the past see, you know, helps Zelda go into a slumber and regains all the memories and you know we go through this whole thing and finally at the end Impa goes up to Zelda and you know in a, in a heartfelt goodbye and you know basically says though you may be gone from now because this isn't your time I will never forget you and Zelda hands her one of her bracelets Impa puts it on and they say the goodbyes but when they get back to their own time, the old woman has the bracelet on. And this moment, this is the moment that got me to cry because Zelda goes up, holds her hands, Impa steps back a few steps and then disappears, symbolizing Impa finally died. So we have to talk about a few things here. And the first thing is time manipulation in the Legend of Zelda series. It's very confusing because if old woman Impa is young Impa, they're one and the same, then how did old woman Impa come to exist if Impa traveled forward to the future? Well, it's pretty simple to explain. These steps happened before when you say that that means that there's almost a never-ending cycle of this happening because Impa goes forward into the future does all her things protects Zelda and then goes back to her own time frame in the past allowing there to be an old woman Impa the only difference is is that this time they succeed in sealing and destroying demise in both the current time and the past. So it's very confusing. And so that we don't have to spend another hour and a half trying to discuss time frames, that's the simple put explanation. This was bound to happen. The old Empa knew the outcome. That's why she was so calm, cool, and collected the whole time. And at the end, she finally got to say her goodbyes. So a couple of important things to talk to note about Impa before we go on to the next character. Impa is a Sheikah, which are appointed guardians of the royal family, as we've discussed, but also appointed guardians of the goddess Hylia herself. They're they are the best of the best. They are goddess Hylia's soldiers, personal you know guards. The next thing to talk about with Impa is that Impa, as a young Impa, has a very short temper. She doesn't have time to mess around. As an old woman, she's gained patience. And this can be attested to the amount of time she had to spend waiting. Years waiting at that temple. Years. And the third thing is, just in case we forgot, the Sheikah don't play by the same rules. 
they have a much longer lifespan than the other Hylians. So if you're ever wondering, well, how is it possible she lives so long? That's how. They have a very, very, very long lifespan. And that is because of the anointments on them by the goddess Hylia. So there is our Skyward Sword Empo wrap-up. The next character we're going to talk about in the last character we're going to talk about is none other than Zelda herself. She's an important character? She's a very important character. <laughs> it was sarcasm, listeners. <laughs> so something cool I wanted to note about this. The Zelda in the Skyward Sword series is the 11th Zelda in the entire Legend of Zelda series. Hmm. If we're going in order of release, she is the 11th edition of Zelda. So aside from being the 11th Zelda in the series, the things we know about the Zelda in the Skyward Sword is she is the daughter of Gopora. And she lives in Skyloft, and her best friend since childhood is Link. They are both students at Night Academy, and she actually played the role of the goddess in the wing ceremony. From there, what we begin to learn through the game is she is none other than the reincarnation of the goddess Hylia, as we've discussed many times. But... It's important to note a couple things about her personality. Number one, in the beginning of the game, she was very timid, playful, uh, and a little scared when the events started to be happening. It wasn't until we run into her the second time that she truly starts to appreciate and recognize what is happening and what her role is. After regaining all of her memories, she does a total 180 on us. She goes from being scared and, you know, timid and, you know, jokey to very serious, very mature and very knowledgeable. This Zelda is the Zelda I want to see more of. Because this Zelda is awesome <laughs> she doesn't take anything from anybody you know she's she's very in your face about things and at the end of the game she looks to Link and says I'm going to stay here what are you going to do and Link looks back to her with that look of oh you already know I'm staying here and they just exchange smiles this version of Zelda really hit home with a lot of fans because me personally, I was tired of seeing Zelda as the damsel in distress and I wanted more from her because I felt like she deserved more. She plays a very important role in the entire series and we see this when it comes down to the fact that she basically helps you to completely get rid of demise. Even though at the end she, you know, her soul's used to reincarnate demise and you know all that happens. Up until that point, she's a very crucial element to all of this. Uh we'll get to the Breath of the Wild version of Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> but 
the other important notes to make here about this Zelda is more so about her father, Gapora. At first, you think of him as a jerk. Because he's like, oh yeah, my daughter got kidnapped. Yeah, Link, you go save her. But then you start to think about Gapora and what he knows. Because as the game goes on, he starts to reveal he's known about a lot of this. He suspected that Zelda was none other than the reincarnation of Hylia. He suspected that you were none other than the heroes selected by Hylia. He suspected a lot of this. So it makes sense towards the end of the game why he's not really worried about his daughter. Because he knows what's going to happen. He knows deep down in his heart, you'll save her. Everything will be fine. And everything will start anew. And it really shows at the end of the game when Zelda basically says, we're going to start a kingdom here. You know, it's it really hits home everything at the end. It's a very nice, clean wrap up. And your person your your personal opinions change on a lot of characters and how they treated this scenario at that final wrap up with just that look from Zelda. That confident, you know, I'm going to do something incredible look she gives Link. So, yeah, that's pretty much all we got on Zelda. (laughs) So that's our important characters. And we've got some side characters that we'll explore, but we're going to explore those later in some of the games that don't have as many main characters that we need to discuss because those characters come back multiple times, such as none other than Beetle and Gapora. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and go to our mid break. And when we come back, we will discuss our monsters. Well, welcome to the middle of the episode. And of course, we're here. The first thing we have to do is read our new review. All right. You ready for this one? Kind of sounded like a ghost. <laughs> so our new review comes to us from our Mark 85. Love this podcast, but and it's five stars. I'm going to read it because I love it. Love this podcast and the in-depth look at the Zelda lore. But can we get some new music for the background instead of the same looping track? There's so many good Zelda tunes out there. Otherwise, keep up the great work. (laughs) Um, I will answer this question. Uh, Yes, we do have some other tracks we're looking at. However, we can't use the Legend of Zelda music because it is copyrighted. And to get the rights to use it, really, really pricey. Uh, And I don't want our podcast episodes to have to go off the air, even temporarily, because we have to go change some music because we get served with a cease and desist. So we will go and change some of the music up every once in a while. (laughs) But thank you for the review and uh, a big shout out to everyone who listens and who shares it. Uh, You don't really know how much you're actually doing when you listen and share you're doing an incredible amount for us. And even the reviews, the reviews allow us to be discovered by new people, you know, sharing it with friends, family, you know, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you share, however you share, it gets us out there. It gets us known. It's, it's incredible. And we thank you for it. And just listening, listening keeps us alive. You know, it lets us know that, you know, you love it. You want this. 
and we want to give you something you love and you want, you know? So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Keep it up and we'll keep doing us. Thank you. So let's get some Legend of Zelda merchant news. Tell me you you got merch. How do you know I have merch? Do you have merch? I do have merch. Yes! (laughs) So what I've got today comes from Etsy. Ooh. And it's from Crystal Maggie. Okay. I already like that name. And you know how we do a lot of tabletop games. Oh, yes. And what do you need for tabletop games? But some dice. So what I have brought today is green glass D&D dice set with Triforce on it. No. Yes, it's absolutely beautiful. Oh my gosh. Let me see a picture. Oh my gosh, I need those in my life. Yes. (laughs) They're gorgeous. They're they're beautiful. You get, you know, there's seven dice and Mm -hmm. all on all of the dice is the Triforce. So it's not just the D20. So um, there's three different options of buying these. You can buy the full set. And the price of that is $68.42. little pricey, but it's worth it. It's definitely worth it. Especially if it's handcrafted and everything. Yeah, it's it's, it's worth it. Mm -hmm. And you can buy only the D20. And that price will get you at... $18.42. So not too bad. And you could get a set of 3D6. And that'll run you $24. Okay. So, yes, this is on Etsy. I'll put the link in the show notes. Mm -hmm. But definitely worth buying because probably going to buy you a set eventually. Ooh! (laughs) I would love a set. Yeah, so yeah, we do a lot of TTRPGs and we do a lot of TTRPG shows and things. Yeah, I need these in my life. (laughs) So, I come bearing news. Not merch? Not merch, not this time. No, I have some exciting news for these Zelda fans. And unfortunately, no, it's not Breath of the Wild 2 news. (sighs) But even more exciting... Uh, and this comes to us from NintendoLife.com. And the article headline is Zelda Ocarina of Time could be inducted into the video game Hall of Fame. I'm really surprised it hasn't already. You know, and a lot of people have said that, especially since it's been commonly referred to as it's been, re- you know, it revolutionized the game industry. Uh, it's one of the best video games of all time. You know, you, you so on and so forth. It's it's been referred to as a, you know, it, it created the dungeon crawler experience as we know it, you know, it's been referred to a lot, but every time that it's been up for submission, it's always been beat out by other games that are just as influential or if not more. So this year's competition for it, there are 12 nominees for this year's batch. And those 12 nominees are Assassin's Creed, Candy Crush, Dance Dance Revolution, Microsoft Minesweeper. That's right. You heard that right. Minesweeper. (laughs) Miss Pac-Man, NBA Jams, Parappa the Rapper, Resident Evil, Rogue, Sid Meier's Civilization, 
and Words with Friends. Now, before you go hating on this list, I need everyone to realize that a lot of these games have revolutionized the industry in one or more ways. Even Minesweeper. Tell me Minesweeper wasn't your first addiction. (laughs) Well, what I was going to say is... Uh, I am a massive Resident Evil fan. Mm-hmm. Just massive. And you know Legend of Zelda as well, but Minesweeper has my vote on this. <clears throat> okay, because that was that and Solitaire were my first loves. It, that's what I'm saying. I can't, I can't, I don't want to do that, but hmm, it really did pave the way for our generation. <laughs> but yeah. So that's its competition this year. And before you get outraged, the Legend of Zelda series has already been inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, It was inducted quite a bit ago. And there are other Nintendo titles that are already inducted into the Hall of Fame, like Animal Crossing, Super Mario Kart, Donkey Kong, Pokemon Red and Blue, uh, and Super Mario Brothers. They've all been inducted this is more of a specific video game induction. So Legend of Zelda as a series has already been inducted and you know, it holds a lot of prestige in that hall of fame. This game, however, has been solely targeted for how it has paved the way for the industry. I mean, as it should, because Mm -hmm. top tier game. Oh, absolutely. So that's our exciting news. And whenever we get the uh, final poll on it we'll let you know who won and speaking of ocarinas (laughs) i know i'm gonna plug this so speaking of ocarinas should you ever want one need one or both head on over to stl ocarinas so use our promo code loz lore 10 and you can get 10 percent off of that ocarina yeah and it's it's a win-win Exactly. And who doesn't love (laughs) getting some money off? You get money off. We get money in return. It's a (laughs) (laughs) win-win. And STL gets money as well. Yes. What a great company. I will say, you know, getting off the, you know, sponsorship bandwagon here. It is a fantastic company. The people who run it are absolutely fantastic. Uh, I've had nothing but lovely experiences with them. Lovely chats with them. They always put on some of the best ocarina concerts on YouTube and on Twitch. They're just absolutely lovely people. Their customer service is fantastic. And, you know, to to wrap it all up nice and neat, the ocarinas are fantastically crafted. You know, a couple of our fans already have some and I, you know, I've been sent pictures and things. Oh my gosh, they are beautiful. They're just as beautiful in person as they are in the pictures on the website. And they've all said they play well, extremely well. If you have ever wanted to add a Ocarina to your collection, you know, your Zelda collection, or you ever wanted to pick one up to start playing, this is definitely the place to get them. I would not search anywhere else. Go by now. (laughs) And with all that being said, I think it's time we get to the end of our episode. And here we are at the end of the episode. And before Ariel gets into talking about monsters, I have one little blurb that totally slipped my mind when we were talking about Link. 
and it's so easy to slip your mind, but so prevalent. When I say Lynx clothing, what is the first thing that pops into your mind? Clothing. Oh, or green. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had to bring this up because this is the first chronologically keep in mind the first time Link gets his green wardrobe and it is the new colors for the knights that year so that being said every time they refer to the hero's clothing in the future parts of the series they are constantly referring to this very uniform that's incredible to think about that it was originally just supposed to be a wardrobe that all knights were supposed to wear. So it makes it less special and more special at the same time. Less special because everyone's got one. More special because this is the first. I mean, I do like green. <laughs> it's not my favorite color, but I do enjoy green. Link pulls it off real well, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, with that being said... I'm going to pass it on over to Ariel. Let's talk monsters. Let's. So first I have the Ampelus. Mm. They are a large anthropod creature that have inhabited Lanayru Desert for eons. That's a long time. <laughs> Ampelus can internally generate electricity, which they use against Link by rolling into him. Mm-hmm. When they crash into walls, objects, or well-timed shield attack while rolling. However, they will become dizzy, giving the hero an opening to attack. Additionally, bombs are effective against Ampelus. Defeated Ampelus's shells can be used as platforms when crossing sink sand, but the shells do disintegrate after a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. These are our hermit crab-like enemies, if I remember correctly. So the last thing I want to add are effective weapons against them. Uh, bombs, any shields other than iron swords, and bows. Hmm. I did not know about the bows. <laughs> yes. So the next one I have, and I'm sorry, listeners, I have a very long list, is Araka. Okay. Yep. Now these are found in the Lanayru Desert as well. And they're larval creatures that can live for over a thousand years. Very long life. Mm -hmm. And any who live this long will grow into a Moldorak. That's interesting. I thought there were similarities between them. Yes, and I'm not going to talk about them this episode. I'm going to cover bosses at a separate time. Okay. So back to the Arrakis. They are often found in large numbers and can be revealed when Link disperses piles of sand. They can also appear during the battle with Moldorak. And these are the scorpion-like creatures. Yes, with the one eye right mm -hmm. in the middle. So, effective weapons against these are the gust bellows, sword, bombs, bow, slingshot, claw shots, and the whip. <laughs> yes, I have used all of these. <laughs> <laughs> Next one is a not so cute enemy, the Cranioc. Uh. Yeah, they're a fish-like creature that inhabit 
Lake Floria, Lene Sansi, and Farron Woods. While it's flooded. Yes. So when you enter their territory, they turn red and charge at you. And will chase you if you remain at their depth. They can't go too deep or too high, preferring to stay within their particular depth. As such, an effective escape is simply to dive deeper or rise higher in the water. And the effective weapon against this is the spin maneuver. Mm-hmm. Wait till they get done being angry and charging, and then you just spin dash them. Ugh. They're not very pretty. No, and they are quite the nuisance, you know? I love how Nintendo always has a way to make us hate the water levels of any game we play from them. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. So, continuing, we have Curspeums. And they're found in the Fire Sanctuary, Skykeep, and the Volcano Summit. They are tadpole-like enemies that reside in lava and spew cursed flames at you preventing you from using your sword or any of your other items for several seconds. Mm-hmm. And effective weapons is the bow or the skyward strike. So you have the fire spumes and the electricity spumes. Mm-hmm. And I believe they follow pretty much the same rules as the uh, curse spumes, except for they shoot fire and lightning balls. Mm-hmm. All right, listeners, sorry if I feel like I'm rushing through these. There's just so much I need to go over. And I don't want to keep you here for five hours. So <laughs> so the next one I'm going to go over is the keys. They're cute little bats. They are bat-like creatures. Usually black-skinned that fly toward you, toward you and attack you. They're nimble creatures that prove to be more of a nuisance than a feared enemy. They are most often found in caves and dungeons, but they can sometimes be found in the overworld as well. And you have a couple other variations of the fire keys and the ice keys. Those appear in several games. And effective weapons are sword, Arrows, boomerang, hookshot, and whip. So next I have the Froaks. And they are a frog-like avian being that vaguely resembles pufferfish. If you come near them, they will puff up and reveal a set of deadly spikes covering their entire body. They can be destroyed if attacked when they do not have their spikes extended. Since Froaks explode when defeated, ranged attacks should be used to safely attack them. And the effective weapons are arrows, gust bellows, skyward strike, spin maneuver, beetle, slingshot, scattershot, and whip. Then we have the Phoenix. They are bird-like creatures that are encountered in the ancient cistern and other areas. They attack by breathing several fireballs in a random pattern in your direction, similar to Wizrobes from The Wind Waker. And the effective weapons are a whip, sword, wooden bow, 
Iron Bow, and Sacred Bow. Next, we have the Guardian. They are incredibly powerful enemies that inhabit the Silent Realms. There are two types of Guardians, walking ones with an enormous club-like weapon and flying ones with two smaller sword-like weapons. The more common flying guardians will constantly float towards you through all obstacles, requiring no line of sight to see you. Though fairly slow, they will eventually surround you through numbers and determination. Walking guardians remain in place until you come within a moderate distance, where they will proceed to chase you at speed slightly slower than your sprint, but faster than your walk. And these are pretty cool looking enemies. And since you are unarmed while in the Silent Realms, Guardians are effectively indestructible. And if a Guardian manages to land a single hit on you, your spirit will shatter and you will fail the trial. You must collect the tears scattered throughout this area and fill the spirit vessel without being hit. So, next is the Rok. They are large birds found in Laneru Desert. They will roost on white trees and do not like others encroaching into their territory. They digest minerals contained in rocks, and if you get too close to a rock's tree, the bird will fly into the air and attempt to regurgitate its last meal in the form of a boulder onto you, circling the air much like a vulture, which is kind of gross. And the effective weapons are bombs and bow. Then we have the pirate. They are seal-like creatures that inhabit the Elden Volcano region. Pyrips will hide in the skeletal remains of other creatures in small holes and will breathe fire whenever you approach them, forcing you to fight them from long distances. And effective weapons for the Pyrup are bombs and bomb flowers. And I could see why they'd say it looks like a seal creature, but kind of more like a snail to me. And we got the Remlets. Super cute little things. They are cat-like creatures kept as pets by the inhabitants of Skyloft. During the day, Remlets are friendly and docile. However, at night they transform into vicious demonic creatures that will attack you on sight. Remlets are capable of both swimming and flight the latter of which is performed by flapping their large ears to remain airborne. If picked up and thrown, a remlet will always land on its feet. If thrown off the edge of Skyloft, it will fly back to safety. They generally appear in the same area in both their day and night forms, albeit in slightly different positions. And on to the Skytail. They are flying worm-like creatures that inhabit the Thunderhead. Skytails travel in groups and attack you by dive-bombing you while you're riding the Crimson Loftwing. Their tails act as weak points and they are vulnerable to spiral charges from the Crimson Loftwing. 
They are somewhat similar in appearance to Moldorms as they both have orange bulges on their tails. Even before obtaining the spiral charge, it is possible to kill them with the Crimson Lofwing's normal charge. Then we have the Staldras. They are three-headed dragons with skull-like faces. In order to defeat them, you have to cut off all three of their heads in one strike, or within very quick succession. If you fail to cut them all off at once, the decapitated heads will regenerate. And the effective weapons for this is the sword and bombs. And the last one I have on my list is the watchers. They appear in the silent realm while the guardians are inactive. If a watcher spots you, a guardian will be awakened regardless of how much time is remaining. There are different varieties of watchers, some which fly higher in the air and will only react if you enter their light, while others fly closer to the ground and will follow you around if they sense that you're nearby. And, you know, since you're in the Silent Realm, again, there's no way to really defeat these. You just have to be fast in collecting your tears. So that's a lot of information. And I know that may seem rushed on this and that we didn't go too far into detail on these enemies, but we had planned at a later date to go more in depth with all of the enemies in Legend of Zelda, period. So yeah, that'll be lengthy episodes, but we planned on going more in depth in them. And I just want to state that I went over enemies that were only in Skyward Sword. We will be covering all the other enemies in those bonus episodes. Because there was a whole lot more than what I covered tonight in Skyward Sword. And... Unfortunately, Aaron is not feeling well, so I am going to close out this episode. Let's hope he feels better soon. So thank you all for listening. Tune in next week for locations and bosses of Skyward Sword. Thank you all for listening to the Legend of Zelda Lorecast tonight. We hope you enjoyed yourselves. If you did, tell a friend, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can chat with us all things Legend of Zelda on the Robots Radio Discord. Or you can get hold of us on our Twitter at LOZ Lorecast. Intro and outro are done by Bentonal Landscape. Links are in the show notes below. Till next time, dear listener, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this.